Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the 51st episode of the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is the actor Jenna Priest. Hi Jenna, how's it going? Hiya! Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. How has lockdown been for you? Um, it's weird. Um, I've still been going to college during it, so it's not too bad. Um, but I live in the valley, so I'm coming past, so we've basically been in lockdown from the start. Um, and it's one of the most infected areas, mm. so a lot of my family members and stuff have got it, yeah. or have caught it. Um, but other than that, it's all good. <laughs> and like, in terms of uni and college how's are you still actually going into uni or are you doing it on zoom yeah so we are still going in um luckily uh the royal welsh college um has put really has put a lot of um we gotta keep you know like rules we gotta keep two meter two meters apart i can't speak suddenly <laughs> <laughs> and um we have to hand sanitizers constantly safe masks um, obviously no touching. Um, so yeah, luckily it, it is part on Zoom sometimes, yes. depending on um, how the government changes its rules mm. and stuff. But no, hopefully um, if nothing changes, uh, I had the COVID test on Wednesday and I have another one on Saturday right. and then I'll be back in on Monday. And like... Do the restrictions affect the things that you're able to do? Because obviously you're studying a, a performance degree, an acting degree. Does it affect the type of exercises and the types of workshops that you're able to do because of social distancing? Yeah, well, um, obviously our industry is quite touchy-touchy and um, it's been really interested in we have to try and develop different theatre shows and stuff where we're still keeping the two meter distance from stage um, or on screen and stuff like that. Um, so it's been challenging and interesting for different facilitators and lecturers. Um, but again, absolutely amazing. Um, we're still being able to do combat, which is fencing, um, yoga, we're still doing physical theatre yeah. in the sense of like, as long as no one's touching. Um, I've got to say, hats off to the college. They're doing absolutely everything they can to try and give us as close as possible um, experience of being at the uni, really. Yeah. I, I want to start where I always start these podcasts. And I want to ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre? Good question. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I was your typical valley girl. Um, I moved out when I was a month after I turned 17. I always say a month after because I was basically 16. Um, and I just used to sit in the flat doing nothing, being stuck on benefits. Most places wouldn't even let me volunteer for them, um, things like that. Um, and then I just got sick of it one day. I decided I'm sick of not seeing people like me being represented and yeah. um, with no way um if um people spoke about us in 300 years 
you'd swear there was no trade people that existed because there's no news reporters, models, actors, directors, right? This we're just not there. So I was like, I've had enough of this. So I um went on my laptop and I spammed like forty random companies and places, going like, this is me. This is what I want to do. I'm stuck. Help because had you had you had you done much acting before this? No, so I went to a fluent Welsh school, so yes. Welsh was my first language, and I used to enter the Eisteddfod every year, and I never made it past the school rounds, to the point that I didn't realise the Eisteddfod was as big as it was until I was an adult, because <laughs> I never went to the actual Eisteddfod. Right. Funny working with the youngest now. Um, so then, uh, I forgot your question, sorry. Like... <laughs> Kind of, had you been involved with, with acting before that? No, I got told I was too dull, so I always used to love acting, but I was never allowed um, any lines or anything in school plays or nothing, because I got told I was too stupid. And then I went through high school, and the exact same thing, um, I got told I was too stupid, I was banned from doing GCSEs, um, everything. So I wanted to do drama, but I knew I couldn't even go into college drama um, because I didn't have the GCSEs. So then I um, had zero training basically and after I'd done that spam email I got in contact yeah. everyone a few fair play to a few companies said Disability Arts Cymru. Yeah. So I contacted this association called Disability Arts Cymru, fab association by the way. has been on, she is fantastic. They've done so much for me and for you I suppose. Well, Sarah be a superwoman. She was the first contact into the industry. So I contacted them. They said, yeah, we're running this workshop for a week. It's £50. Now, £50 was a lot for me. So I was like, "Mom, can I spend £50 and I'll pay you back in installments? And I went to this week workshop in Cardiff where mm. they had loads of different facilitators coming in and different companies each day doing different stuff with us. And that's when I met uh, Lisa. I don't really understand that. So why? Yeah, so growing up in the valley, if I went around anyone disabled, right. and I got told on numerous occasions that I should be grateful for this, and grateful for that, and grateful for this. Um, um, and I always got made to feel like I was the issue, and I was the problem, and I need to be fixed. Which is a very, you know, when we talk about medical model, of disability rather than the social model. So of was, course. So well, the charity model was given charity to me well. Oh, bless her. Um, <laughs> and that constant, over the top, you're an inspiration and um, Did, constant, you know, just... <laughs> but you know what I mean, but... What, so my attitude towards disabled was very negative. I found it offensive because the word was only used in a negative way towards me. Yeah. So I didn't see myself as anything different. Um, so until I really got introduced to Serbia and taking flight nursing and got disability equality training, mm. it opened my eyes. At that point, I was quite an aggressive, hated the world, quite yeah. um, beaten down. So we're not educated. I left school at 16, so I wasn't educated in mental health. You know, you don't get educated about disability history. Like no. I found out in, as an adult that the uh, gas chambers were originally made for disabled people way before the war, and they managed to gas 
Uh, yeah, wasn't it like Action T4 started in like 1930 or, or something stupid like that, which nobody knows. Yeah, and I read uh, Jason Bourne was going to direct it, but he didn't because he was going to do it with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. this isn't a fair question, just feel free not to answer it. But do you feel that being working class is more of a barrier for you as an actor than being disabled? Um, yeah and no, because you're hitting me similar thing to when later in the podcast we're going to talk about disability representation so I suppose it's a similar thing of people who haven't had those experiences writing a version of what they think these people's lives are like would you agree with that? introduced a character purely for the sake of being ableist, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but I, I'm going to move on slightly if that's okay. That's um, okay, I won't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> i got to like, get these questions in. So, when did you kind of start to see acting as something that you wanted to do as a career? Yeah. Not just for like 
to say for people about like um, I like to see more people wearing headscarves and stuff on TV or yeah. in the shop window on a mannequin or um, I'd like to um, see more young people on TV representing their own Definitely. work. Telling their own stories as well. You don't come across as someone who lacks confidence. So it's surprising to me that you kind of had a bit of trepidation in terms of wanting to act. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Well, um, yeah, it's funny. Um, again, I had a horrific time in school. I mean, I got hit by a teacher. Mm. She encouraged other students to hit me. Um, I got called ugly and dumb every day on a daily basis. Um, and then I left school and I remember having a conversation with a friend on the phone and they said, oh yeah, but we always knew you were going to be on benefits. Right. And I suddenly, I suddenly clicked on this ideal version of what I've got in my head of me is nothing of what the world thinks of me. Um, and I just got beaten down basically. Right. And I just thought, well, if that's what people think, I, I am just on benefits, I'm just sitting in the back doing nothing then. Um, which obviously did nothing for my mental, physical health or social um, no. health. Um, so if I could speak to my younger self, I would like shake you and be like, stop listening to everyone. Um, because even though I'm self-confident and confident, people tend to mix them up quite a lot. Confidence is someone who believes in themselves that they can take a task and run with it and go with it or yeah. go in a room and feel comfortable and then self-confidence is more on how, how you view yourself so confidence is how the world views you and self-confidence is how you view yourself so I, of course I'm self-conscious in certain ways like to this day I won't spend money on clothes for myself right. over a certain point because I will say none because I got disabled hands obviously yeah. um, that Yes, I was going to move on in a second. I'd love to talk about um, the time that you spent um, in Norway um, with Rolfest. Uh, but I suppose in terms of people thinking that you're a lot younger than you are, I suppose that can be quite patronising in terms of people thinking you're less capable as a creative person, both because they think you're younger and obviously the ableist attitudes that some people have as well. Yeah, um, spot on. Uh, Norway, for your first part of the question, was um, absolutely amazing. And then on the same note, absolutely terrible for personal side of growing because I had anxiety disorder at that time without realising. Um, and I struggled a lot. I was locked up in my room for like right. one day, just like sweating up and poking all day. It was horrible. Because um, obviously I'd gone. And it was with Rollfest, wasn't it? It was for yeah. like an R&D yeah, so, for what would become Rollfest. Yeah, so basically a group of us got together, um, the under 25, um, to create a festival for Wales. So we all split up and went off to different countries to do different research on their youth festivals. Um, now Norway is notorious to have a really good youth festival and hats off to it, they have. Um, the festival, how it works is um, each town enters and each person pays to enter a competition and then that town winner goes to the festival to represent that town. Mm. But the interesting thing was um, it's run by the kids, for the kids, and developed by the kids. So there was only four adults in the whole festival. Obviously, you had some adults escorting kids and looking after kids. Yeah. But the presenters were kids. 
the um, stage crew were kids, the camera crew were kids, the um, people entering on stage were kids, the audience were kids. Everything was for the youth. Um, it had some complete different things that wouldn't work off in Wales, like, uh, for example, they had 11 to and 23-year-olds just sleeping in a big hall, you know, like, yeah. sleeping bags, all in just the same room. That blew my mind because, I mean, coming from the valleys with um, underage uh, pregnancy and stuff, mm. um, that would never work. Um, but then they had amazing stuff then, um, where the festival went through different parts of the town and took over the whole town, wow. rather than just one section. So it wasn't just in a, in a theatre or in an art centre, it was all over this town? There was parts in the shopping mall, there was parts in church, like choirs and musicians playing in churches. There was people doing like band parades down the street mm -hmm. next to the river. There was like um, a huge field with a big stage um, where people were just sitting up. Um, and what was really good was they provided food and everything for um. everyone who was there in the festival taking part. So all these people had paid and won in the town and mm -hmm. came to the festival didn't have to worry about accommodation food. I mean, Norway is a very kind of socialist country and it's not surprising that they would do that. But, like, what do you think Wales and Welsh youth arts can learn from countries like Norway? And how can well, we adapt our practice? There's a lot of things we could um, learn. I mean, the education system shocked me in a, in a, a, an out way um, they don't have schools like we do they have specialized schools so schools just for music schools just for science schools just for and they have no more than like 10 in a class so the teacher literally gets to know your one-on-one -on -one, um, and gets to um, actually um, see what you're interested in and develop your skills there and um, they actually listen to the youth and um, so I find in this country we don't, we're not interested in the youth's opinion or anything. And then, like, like simple example, politics. We don't get educated on yeah. anything to do with politics. Then we hit 18 and it's fucked. But it's that fucked. is deliberate, though. That is deliberate, you know. We're not educated on politics because they want us to vote in a certain way. It benefits them for us not to be educated on politics. Exactly, but if we're talking about the truth from her, we could really help the youth. <laughs> we could change so much things, like um, there's not enough um, arts in the school. There's not enough art facilities around in the extent of um, no one in the valley is go watches theatre. Mm. That's a very like expensive and very, they wouldn't know where to start. Um, not a lot of people in the valleys. I'm not like stereotyping. I'm saying from no, no, of course. now, um, from like um, people would watch films rather than read mm. things like this. So it's like uh, it's a it's a cultural change, isn't it? And that comes from yeah. economics, and you have like social deprivation plays a big part, and I'm not. Uh, there must be social deprivation in Scandinavia, in Norway, but would you say it's a more equal society generally than the UK? Yeah, so I um, find that in Norway um, it would be a lot more equal if a child was in more of a poverty area, they'd still get an equal chance to go to an expensive school and get a scholarship. Mm. Um, if a child comes from poverty area more in Britain, they never, never even heard of the expensive school, never mind applying mm. for it. Um, so it seems that they reach out more to talent rather than area and district. That's good. Uh, I'm going to move on slightly. I want to talk about your MA at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, um, specialising in stage, screen and radio. So what have you learned from being on this course and how has it developed you as an actor? Uh, negatives, I've learned 
be fine and then it's not yeah. <laughs> yeah of course so we had amazing communication um, emailing and talking to the lecturers where you have any questions you have and um, working out an access plan and things um, such a weird experience because I mean I got no GCSEs and I was jumped to get a masters which is the top course yeah. you can get in its, in this department um, so it's a very proud achievement for me and I've learned that I can achieve in lots of different platforms and in different environments. And that, to be honest with you, my main goal, I didn't even attend to go there. I, would, I got approached by Dave Bond last year. Right. Because they, the masters normally do a show, um, a showcase at the end, and they have a professional actor come in to work with them. And he asked me to come in to work with right. them and play Janice Chapman. Right. And then obviously COVID happened and everything. And then he explained he's retiring, but he really wants to make the college more um, equality as it goes on. And so he said, why don't you apply for masters? Um, and the college being in an esteemed establishment, it is the number one college in the whole UK, yeah. the drama, um, really helps try and break that disability stigma for me because I still turn up on set and I still have the typical sorry honey you can't come here today this will cause and then I'm like yeah I know it's 7am in like a middle of a field do you think I'm just driving for no reason like you've just like wandered there <laughs> out of nowhere yeah, <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> and then they're like oh okay um are you an SA and I'm like no, I play Rachel, Rachel Jones. And then they look at the call sheet and realise all the scenes today are just based on Rachel Jones and all the extras that have worked with Rachel Jones. Let's, let's talk about that one. Let's talk about Tourist Trap. Because you're in Tourist Trap. I love Tourist Trap. It's one of the funniest things on TV. Yeah, I think it's so, like, Welsh. So, like, ethnically Welsh. What's it like to be in? Oh, thank you, first of all. Um, it's absolutely amazing, to be honest with you. Um, I got the opportunity because I'd done a documentary for BBC about losing my car and not being awarded PIP and things. Um, and in the premiere there, um, I met the executive producers and they said, oh, you're really good at looking at the camera and looking away and stuff. We've got a new comedy coming out. Do you mind if we pass your details on? Yeah. So the only information I got given was um, can you create a character that is from a tourist industry, from tourist board industry, yeah. um, and you're, you'll be interviewed for 20 minutes in character? So I was like, right, okay. How, um, did, how did that feel to be given the freedom to develop your own character rather than be given a script with a character that was already written? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely enjoy like I, I can't believe it because I thought right nobody's gonna create a disabled character and I thought and when people do it's the typical I'm here just to be disabled and that's it mm. there's no dimensions to our <laughs> you know or the butter wouldn't melt it's typical personalities so I thought I really want to create a character uh, 
hates their job, quite ignorant towards people, doesn't really, really like she's disabled herself in the extent that she's quite ignorant, um, a fraudster, so she's just there to rip off and get as much money as she can. Yeah. Um, and I just took it from there, really. And then I thought, I purposely exaggerate more of a valley accent when I'm on TV. Right. And it's intentional to because you don't really hear that accent much on TV unless it's a shoulder specifically in the valleys. Um, so again, I made sure she was quite valley, so I kept the accent quite strong. Um, and her lingo was quite valley. Um, so I just ran with it and I thought, right, what position would she have? Because I can't see her as a call center. And I can't see her with, and I was like, right, she has to be some sort of like secret shopper, right. secret tourist. So I came up with secret tourist and then um, we developed the idea of her being an undercover um, accessibility assessor <laughs> to go around I Wales like making that. sure Wales is accessible. I like that. Because um, that was the idea. Rather than a secret um, shopper, the secret tourist was the idea of pretending she's not from Wales. So every time you see, originally every time you see her, I had the idea that she would have this different persona mm. and she would be going around pretending to be someone else in Wales. And like in terms of acting for uh, TV, um, what are the differences do you find between acting for TV and acting for theatre? Which do you enjoy more? Yeah, I really enjoy acting TV and film a lot. Um, I was one of these kids who couldn't get out of the camera when the camera came out. Yeah. Jenny, get out of the frame! <laughs> and then I'm suddenly sneaking back in. Get out of the frame! Because they're trying to record my siblings. Um, and I, I find acting on screen, um, depending on which directors and stuff you work with, you've got a lot more freedom. Right. In the sense of, um, you don't... Normally, like with theatre, you get a rehearsal stage where you meet the actors and you get a bond and you get to gauge each other's characters and mm-hmm. how they're playing each other. That doesn't work. Your rehearsal stage is basically on set. Is okay, do you want to practice for five before we right. take a shot? Um, so you don't really get to meet the actors and work out how that character is being played and everything. So there's a lot more thrilling, there's a lot more going on, and you can move more on things and then not worry about if the audience is going to see it because then you have a whole crew working with you that okay she did that let's do that again but we're going to move the cameras over here and um, so i find acting on tv is a lot um a lot more interesting and fun right. because you can use your voices on different levels you can go whisper talk mm. you can't really do that on stage um and on stage Everything is directed by a director. It's and like that, that one person is in charge of the whole show and you as an actor. So, especially because in terms of tourist trap, you're on a show that is structured improv, right? Whereas in yeah. theatre, you're in a play that's been written by a playwright and you've got to learn those lines. Does that feel quite restrictive to you as an actor? Yeah, yeah because I mean, for me especially, coming from Taking Flights, um, we're very accessible theatre and um, I'm so used to now feeling and coming from where the characters come from that I might use a term that's not in the script and obviously I feel as an actor that's what that character would yeah. do at that moment or say. Um, but of course, that can be very offensive to script writers because the only control a writer has is the words they put down on the page. They can't control how someone's going to direct Absolutely. it. They can't control the location. Nothing. Um, so I understand. You, it's quite a weird topic, really. Because people like me, like, you know I'm a writer, and like, if I write something and someone's changed it, I think sometimes you can feel, oh, why have they changed that? Wasn't that good? Why? So, yeah, it's interesting, that balance, or finding that balance, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, of course, uh, I was on a show called Real Human Being, which was based on this bloody hit. I want to talk about that next, yeah. So, yeah, what was that like? Yes, that was amazing. So, it was written by Matthew Belgor, and it was written for Taking Flight. Um, Taking Flight went out and interviewed a lot of um, adults who identified as disabled and said what your experiences in life and stuff. And then took those stories, gave them to Matthew Belgor, and created a Forum theatre piece based on this bloody hate crime. No, Matthew Belgo is not a disabled writer. Do you think that had any impact on the play? Do you think it would have been different if it was written by a disabled playwright? Again, I think it was all to do with the individual. For me, Matthew Belgo, um, and luckily it was in the hands of Matthew Belgo, who was the director of Taking Flat. Um, amazing because the character um, is originally written as a wheelchair user. Right. Obviously, I'm not a wheelchair user. Um, Matthew Velker kindly came and sat into the first script reading, and any suggestions I had as an actor to put down into the script and have to change it was, yeah, let's do it, rather than, no, 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 it has to be a wheelchair user. That's who the character is. Um, so I believe, even though Matthew Belko isn't disabled, um, he, he, he wrote three good characters that take you down a route where, can go where, where the audience they can explore different avenues. Um, so I'm guessing, as the writer, he wrote more from the side than possibly seeing this bloody hate crime and stuff. Um, and I think uh, it might have been like, say if I wrote it, it might have been not saying, it might have been like my very specific personal experiences rather than something that is more general. Do you know what I mean? So in that way, maybe it would have been very different if I wrote it yeah. or if Tom Wentworth wrote it or if Kate O'Reilly wrote it. It would have been a different play, obviously. Um, but yeah, Sorry, Janet, the themes in the play are quite heavy because it's about disability and crime. Was it difficult as a disabled actor to deal with those themes? And, you know, was it a difficult play to rehearse and develop for those yeah. reasons? Yeah, so we had four weeks uh, rehearsals. Um, we had to get everything right. And uh, I the actor who was playing the uh, bully um, found it really hard um, because I had a terminology that was used against me on a daily basis, T-Rex, mm. and she found it really hard in rehearsals to say to me things. And I said, um, we, we worked out that it's fine, like, we're doing this for a reason. And um, for me, because again, I'm a lot older than what I look, um, I think it really helped that I had such a bad experience at school. I could right. try and go back to that younger self, but with the confidence I have now, to be able to play vulnerable in the extent of something she is very vulnerable. Um, and of course, um, the aim is to prevent disability crime, yeah. disability crime from happening rather than, of course we teach you how to report you and stuff, there's more on showing basically four days of a uh, normal typical disabled girl in a high school. In yeah. a, in a... And, and what kind of response did you get from the kids who watched it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the main reason I've done it was because that's the show that attracted me to taking flight when I ran the lease back in that time when I was like, what do you do? And she was like, Shakespeare outdoor and all that. And then suddenly she said, we do this show about this bloody hate crime that goes into schools and talks yeah. to you And I remember seeing a show in school as a kid, and a boy off Tracy Beaker was on it, 
I remember feeling like I really, really want to do this. And I remember seeing cats when I was in Great Ormond Street Hospital as a kid in the West End. And there was a little cat on stage. I remember being like, I, why can't I be that little cat? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I always had this passion um, to do it. Uh, I've got your question, sorry. I'm well, right. well can I, you know, when you went into the schools, um, yes. what, what what did the kids say? What was their response to the play? It was amazing. Hats off to all the youngsters and parents. Because um, I would have that typical um, reaction when I first walk in of three students looking at me, you're a random disabled girl. Yeah. Um, and then... I mean, I remember walking on stage a couple of times and I heard, like, in the crowd, um, oh, bless her, she's wandered on stage. <laughs> um, and things like this. To then, by dinner time, by the time we've done, they've seen the play and then we've done workshops and forum yeah. day, or coming back to forum day, it'd be like, you're just like me, you're no different, you're just like me, <laughs> yeah. you're no different. And complete, um, complete, because... They got a hot seat with Alice and talked to Alice. Um, yeah. They just warmed to Alice. Like I remember at one point there was a section and there just happened to be a section of all boys. And they were just staring at me for ages. And then one went awkward and they went, you're telling me awkward. <laughs> you're all just sitting here staring yeah. at me. Please, someone say something. <laughs> and because they're talking to me as Alice, they start responding as yeah. Alice then. Um, and then... Someone will ask something and then they'll hear answers respond and then they'll be like, no, that isn't on, that ain't. And then they really start getting defensive for Alice. So you um, saw maybe a mindset change in a short period of time because of the play and because of the content of the play. Hey. Yeah, I mean, what, one school we went to a purple and this, and uh, the students wrote to us to say thank you and the staff wrote saying, I've worked here for 15 years and none of the students have ever responded to anything like this in wow. I mean, when we first arrived, and I mean, this is the exact environment you want to go to, that individuals that have, seen, have already got a reputation or a stigma, just like a disabled yeah. person. Um, so, for me, I was the most comfortable in the hospital <laughs> referral unit, even though you're sitting there and they're just putting your phones in and sticking their finger at you. And they're just like You you just gotta you just gotta plow through it, I guess. You not ignore it, but you just gotta be like, Okay, this is what it is, let's That's just a block. That's yeah. just a I'm protecting myself. Within an hour of being in the room they realise we're there to give them attention and just chill out with them and talk and we're not here to tell you how to think what well, this is this is what we've brought. I have a chat about it. Have a nice day. Nice to meet you. Um, I mean, one ch one child from one school blessed them because we were there in the school for two days because they were such a big uh, year group. Um, yeah. Came back in the next day with a thank you card and a. Oh, bless him. Oh. Yeah, you visually see like every school. Um, afterwards, we would do a feedback form to try and get yeah. more funding, which we didn't get. I would have played Alice for the next 10 years, day in, day out, if we had... Well, Ali Elise has been on. Elise has been on this podcast, and she said that there might be a re-emergence of a real human being after the coronavirus pandemic, if, like, Ooh. if she can get the funding. Not definite, but funding defendant. Um, but I'm sorry to get you short, Jenna, but we've got a bit more to get through, and we're running out of time. Um, but um, I I just want to tell you generally about the industry after coronavirus and what can we do to increase the representation of deaf and disabled actors, writers, directors, and have you experienced discrimination in the industry because of your impairment? Yeah, so um, I think the main thing we need to do is um, get our voices heard a lot more. So we need to um, start um, actively uh, creating positions if they ain't. If no one's willing to give us positions, hey, we're intelligent and talented enough ourselves to create positions. Yeah. Um, 
and start going out there and finding ourselves if they come to it. Um, if the industry needs to um, realise um, that the arts is for everyone, uh, it's time for the change again. Um, and if that doesn't work, we need to start protesting and uh, making a change through the government and law. Definitely. I mean, there's still, I think there's still a fear factor for big companies especially. And also a thing of, oh, you're disabled, so you can just work with taking flight and hijinks, you're fine. They don't expect us to want to work with big companies like the Sherman or National Theatre Wales or Theatre Gem. So I think there's an attitude that needs to be shifted there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why me and Richard's uh, main part in Raw Fest was to make sure it was accessible for any individual who was going there. And um, so one team went out and checked the venues, and they came back and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's accessible. It's accessible. They got the toilets and this and that." I went, "All right, yeah." And we were like, "Yeah." And I said, "Um, what about the stage? <laughs> what about it?" I said, "Is the step so they around?" Oh, we'll have to go back and check. Okay. Well, you know, do me a favour and check there's no steps going into the building as well and how wide the door frames are. <laughs> but but this, is, this is why you need disabled people to do this. If you're hiring yeah. an access consultant, hire a disabled <laughs> access consultant. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> hire, yeah, hire. Every, every company should have a disabled consultant or... That is like an ingrained attitude, yeah? That is a socially ingrained attitude that people have. It's not necessarily their fault, because that's been fed into them almost subconsciously. But in terms of, like, a post-coronavirus, you know, I really think we need some kind of revolution in terms of disability arts and making sure that we see more disabled actors on our stages and no more creeping up post-COVID-19, hopefully. That's what I'm hopeful for, anyway. Hey. Yeah, and same. It's funny, though, because my favourite film is See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Really? I mean, I can't watch that film without crying. I laugh and cry every time I watch it because I find the actors have done a really outstanding job on seeing the characters and not the disability. Mm. Um, and then they obviously done their research and went and um, visit um, all the organisations by blind groups and stuff. It does annoy me, and if I was to do See No Evil, Hear No Evil, now I would want to say the masters yeah. in it. Um, but I'm glad that film was made because I wouldn't have a film to this day and age with two main actors in the film starring as disabled characters. Um, but, but it's still creeping up, though, you know? It's, I know, I know, but I Do you know to, what I mean? It just leaves a bad yeah. taste in my mouth. I, I just, have to say, it is creeping up, but when I was a child and I found that film, I had no idea those two actors were creeping up. The first time yeah. ever I'd seen a film with two disabled actors as a main role. Um, so, the time it was made, and for me, it helped me, but now I would like mm. to see disabled actors. I mean, there's no reason why uh, in this day and age someone feels the need to research on how to walk a certain way or talk a certain way. It's offensive, it's yeah. rude, it's ignorance, it's arrogance in the sense of you believe you can achieve that 100%. Of course, acting is acting. Some people argue the debate of, well, could you act as a boy then, or could you act as a girl, or could you do this, or could you do that? But, you know, disability is like a specific identity, and it's a life experience, you know, and you can bring something else to it if you've had a similar life experience 
to that. That's what I think. Anyway, I think exactly. that's what you exactly. think as well. Stop cracking um, up. Stop at a dinner thing to stuff just to be there Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.